Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Our look at the Last Supper, and this is going to be our last week in this section Uh, We're coming up on Good Friday. We're celebrating the resurrection on Sunday. And so far, we've covered John 13 through 15. Uh, I've said this a few times, uh, but just in case you've missed it, we hit John 17 at the end of last year. And if you want to go back and listen to that, it's on our uh, podcast on through iTunes or Spotify where you can uh, you can listen to that. But uh, this tonight will be the the last night of uh, this look at the Last Supper. Um, And it's the last chapter of Jesus's uh, discussion with his disciples in this upper room discourse uh, before he's he's crucified, because in in chapter 17, he's praying to the Father. And so chapter 16, this is him, his kind of final words to his disciples before he's crucified. And then, you know, he appears to them after uh, the resurrection and and, uh, speaks to them then. But this is uh, the last words um, before the, uh, the crucified Christ. If you've uh, got your Bibles, we're going to be in John 16, verses 1 through 4. You can open up the app. Uh, We've got our notes there. You can follow along on the screen behind us. But we're going to read John chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. I'll tell you right now, we are not going to get through this whole chapter. Um, But uh, since we didn't even even get through all of 15 last week, and so we'll be referencing a little bit of what Jesus said in 15 because it's relevant to uh, what he's saying in chapter 16 as well. But we're going to read Verses 1 through 4 in chapter 16, this is Jesus speaking. He said, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus is saying, I have said these things to what? To keep us from falling away, to keep us from losing trust in him. And some translations say stumbling, and we didn't get to it last week, but the end of chapter 15, Jesus is talking about how much the world is going to hate them, um, how much the world is going to despise them. If we, and remember, this is all in the same setting. Um, a lot of times we'll read, a, we'll read a, a chapter, and then it's like a few days later, or there's this, this time gap. This is all in the same setting. And so the beginning of chapter 16 goes hand in hand with the end of chapter 15. And, and here's kind of a couple of verses just on, on how chapter 15 ends. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus told them that uh, they're not going to be welcome. And that here, here at the end of, of chapter 15, um, he, he's talking uh, about this this coming this comfort that they can have right this helper that's coming, um, and and he says that we're remembering you know I, I need you guys to understand something that that the world is going to hate you but there is comfort that is going to happen and we read the word helper or comfort we talked about it last week but just as a refresher um, that word in the Greek is parakletos and it means one who comes alongside one who strengthens in battle um, one who pleads our case before the judge. It gives us strength to endure persecution. And the world is going 
to hate you, but you are going to have a helper, a comforter in the midst of this. A lot of times, you know, we, have, we struggle with that. Like, why would the world hate me? Like, why would the world, like, I, I'm going to love others. I'm going to love them like Jesus loved them, right? I'm going to treat people how, how I want to be treated. If someone insults me, I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to do all these good things. Why would the world hate me? Like, why that doesn't make any sense to us, right? In America, it's like, no, if I do good things to people, like, I'm going to be treated with respect, and I'm going to be treated well. And Jesus says, they're going to hate you because they hated me. They're going to hate you because they don't know me. They don't know the Father. They will hate you because they are not, because you are not of this world. That, that in their hatred, the enemies of the cross, this is what they are, enemies of the cross. They're not, right? They are, they're children of wrath. They're enemies of God. We've, we've covered this before. Um, we can look in Romans. We can look in Ephesians, how it describes the world, that they're hostile to the things of God. And so, of course, they're going to try to silence you to stop the witness of believers. And Jesus is telling his disciples these things. He's giving them a heads up. And he tells them that. He's like, I'm telling you this thing so that when it happens, you're not caught off guard. So that when it happens, you know that like, oh, yeah, this is what I told them. And he gives them a a more detailed view uh, of what's going to happen. So chapter 15, end of it, he's just saying, hey, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. And then in chapter 16, he says this. He says they're going to kick you out of the synagogues, and whoever kills you will think they're doing the Lord's work. Can we think of anyone in the New Testament who might fit this description? Paul, yeah. Before his conversion, Paul. That he, he thought he was doing the Lord's work, and he mentions this a few times in the New Testament, um, post-conversion and we read a few verses in Acts chapter 22, verses 4 through 5. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. We look at Acts 29, 9 through 11. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my Father, Paul was doing exactly what Jesus said that they were going to do, that they think they're doing the Lord's work. Paul was doing this, and it was being signed, sealed, and delivered by who? The chief priests, the elders, these religious leaders. They think they're doing the God's work, that that they are rooting out this, this sect, this evil way. And Jesus said, hey, don't be surprised when this happens. And so what happens to Paul? The persecutor becomes the one that's persecuted. And his life is, is radically changed. He started following the way. Um, and Jesus tells him these things. Why? So they don't stumble. They don't lose faith in him. And this is going to happen. Um, we go to verse 4 through 11, um, and Jesus says this. He says, But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember them that I told you. He goes on to say, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to the one, to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Let me ask you this. We kind of already talked about this. Did Jesus know what was coming his way? Yeah. He wasn't just out for a road trip and was like, oh, there's a cool diner. Let's stop there, right? No, he knew what was ahead of him. He knew the end journey. Um, he, he knew that his hour had come. And, and up until this point, he had, he had protected, he had guarded the disciples. We read in John 17 where he's praying to the Father, and he says, he says, while they were with me, I've protected them. I've guarded them. Now I am asking you, Father, that you keep them in your name. I'm going away. Now I'm asking that you take care. You watch over them. Um, and, and so there was no real need for him to share what he's sharing right here because they're, they're protected. They're safe. Um, and now Jesus is going away and he's like, I, I held these things from you until now. Um, and, and he just, he, in the matter of, of a dinner and, and some time after, he has just completely rocked their worlds. He's told them that he's going away that he's not going to be with him anymore. He's telling them that they're going to suffer. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to be hated. And, and he's like, and no one's asking me where I'm going. Now, has anyone ever gotten any bad news? You ever been called into your boss's office and you're like, oh, it's just a routine meeting. They're like, hey, we're having to make some cuts and we're going to let you go. Maybe you've, you've gone into the doctor's office and you, you're like, ah, this guy kind of got these headaches and the doctor's like, Actually, it's something a lot more serious. And it's almost like everything up to that point that you're, you're taking in, but once the, the bad news is dropped, it's like you get this, it's like you see their mouth moving and nothing else. And Jesus is like, you're, not, you're still not getting what's going on. I, no one's asking me where I'm going. Why? Because sorrow has filled your hearts. That I've told you I'm leaving and that you're going to suffer and everything else is kind of like on the periphery that you're not paying attention. But... I need someone to turn to John chapter 13, verse 36, because it seems like uh, Jesus is having a bit of amnesia here. And just for uh, the sake of this, hey, Anthony, we've run there. We got a couple parts of, of people. Does someone have John chapter 13, verse 36? Once you have it, just raise your hand. We're going to have you read it out loud so we're all on the same page. John chapter 13, verse 36. Because Jesus says, uh, I've told you I'm leaving, and no one is asking where I'm going, but we need to remember all the way back to John chapter 13. Anyone, just raise your hand. Who's got it? There you go. Hey, we take the microphone over there and let her, let her read it. John chapter 13, verse 36. Jesus says, he's just said it here in chapter 16. No one's asking where I'm going. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Yeah. So, so like just a little bit, I don't know what the time frame is, maybe an hour ago, like Peter asked the same question, Lord, where are you going? And here Jesus is saying, no one's asking where I'm going. Did Jesus have like a, was he so concerned what was coming up that he forgot that Peter had just asked this question? No, he's, he, there, some time had passed and Jesus is, is telling them, it, it's in the present tense, that no one's asking me now. It's like your concern for where I'm going has, has faded because of the bad news that you've got, because of the grief that's in your hearts. And, and the truth is this, is, this is true for a lot of us. Um, that it's not so much even that sorrow has filled our heart, right? We celebrate the cross. We celebrate things like the resurrection. Um, but how many of you thought it would just be, it'd be so cool just to spend a day with Jesus? You never thought that? 
not that like we want to die and, and that we're ready to die and like go to heaven, but I would just like to hang out with him. I'd like to have lunch with him. Um, I'd like to go back and be one of his disciples. And we're all like, I would be John. I would be the one that Jesus loved. I'd be the one, I, I would be Peter. I'd be the one that walked out on the boat and that would cut the dude's ear off, right? We all like to think, I would, I, I would love to do this. And that would be fantastic. But Jesus is telling us something here that should change our perspective. He says, I'm telling you the truth. It's not neutral. It, it, it's not on the same level that it's not a, a downgrade, but it's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your benefit that I go away. And the disciples are sad because he's going away. Their sorrow has filled their heart. And a lot of time our perspective is gone. I'm like, man, I just, if, I could just, if I could just hang out with Jesus. But Jesus said, it's better that I go away. Like there is an advantage that, I, that it would be so cool to go back 2,000 years ago and to see what happened. But how weird would it be for, for me to tell my wife? It's like, hey, we've been together for like 17 years, but it's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I leave you. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, you're crazy. It's to your advantage that I get an apartment and I sleep a full night, right? It's to your advantage. Like it doesn't, and so the disciples are like, you, we've been around you for three years, learning from you and seeing you and doing all these cool things. And now you're saying it's to our advantage that I leave. But something happened between the resurrection and the time of the ascension where nothing changed as far as Jesus leaving, but the disciples' perspective changed. Because we see in Luke chapter 24, verse 50 and 52, he said, he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven, and they worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. Saying goodbye is difficult. Saying goodbye to someone is, is hard. But something shifted in the disciples' mind because they were filled with sorrow because of what was coming. The persecution is still up ahead. That hasn't changed. Jesus still left. That didn't change. So what was it that happened? They, they, their perspective shifted to where they were like, I'm getting it now. That Jesus said it's to our advantage. That, and so they, if he is leaving, as much as it may, may, may hurt to see this, this master, our savior, leave this earth, there is something that's to our advantage that is coming to this earth. And, and here's where I'm talking about our, our, our perspective is a little off, and we kind of get in the same boat, maybe the different, a different side of the same coin as the, the disciples, is that we don't understand the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, real quick, okay, so, so we're going to do a little word association. Okay, so I need everyone to participate. I'm going to say a word, and you just shout out, like, the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Um, Ready? Are you guys good? I need everyone to participate. Like, I don't need you to think about it. Just do it. Okay, so if I say hot. Cold. cold. Okay. Uh, fast. Uh, rain. Okay. You don't have to have the same answer. Just shout out whatever. It's all good. Um, Jesus. Christ, son, what'd you say? Shout out what you said. No, this is no. God. Okay. Um, water. Uh, church. Um, Holy Spirit. What are some of you wanting to shout out right now? I'm just, I'm just curious. Huh? Comfort? Everywhere? Yeah? Do our minds go to the gifts of the Spirit sometimes when we think of this word? Sometimes? Yeah? And, and, 
why am I doing this? I, I, I think it's, so maybe I just have a, a skewed point of view from how I grew up. Um, but I, I've been to a, different, a few different churches in Oklahoma. Um, grew up in one in, in Sepulpa. Worked at one in Oklahoma City for five years. Um, worked at a church in Jinx for about a year. Been here for about seven years. Um, I, I visited some, my, my uncle was a pastor in Wagner for a while. I uh, went to a church in Ardmore. So I've been to these different churches around the state, right? And a lot of times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, our mind jumps to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the gifts are, are fantastic. Um, God gives the gifts as he sees fit to the individuals. Why? For the building up of the church. Yeah, that's absolutely 100% part of the Holy Spirit. But a lot of times that's where our mind goes. Um, and if, we were, if we're trying to think, you know, if I was like, hey, we're going to do a, a teaching over the Holy Spirit, um, there's, there's a chance, and none of you, because you're all totally sane and normal, if I was like, hey, we're going to do a teaching over the Holy Spirit, we might get some crazy people in here. Right? People thinking like, oh, like, okay, when, when are we going to bust out the, the shofar and, and start doing Jericho marches? Like, when are we going to do that? Right? And you got like, you, it's okay to laugh. It's like, we, we, we know those people. It's okay. Um, but Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit and is working in our lives before Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit later on. And so, so Jesus is saying, it's, it's to your advantage, it's advantageous for you that I leave because I am sending something that is for your benefits. And so I just want to take some time because he says it's advantageous right here in, in chapter 16. So why is it advantageous? Why is it for our benefits that he leaves? What does the Holy Spirit do for us inside of us, working in us, not the gifts that are for the benefit of the church on the outside, but what does the Holy Spirit do for us inside of us? Because, yeah, because if there's no transformation inside of us, it doesn't matter at all what we do out to the church. It doesn't matter at all. You'd be like, well, I have a gift of prophecy. Well, if your heart hasn't been changed, it doesn't, I don't really care. Um, and so, so let's, I just want to take a couple of minutes and look at what the Holy Spirit does for us um, that we see in the Gospels and, uh, and see, look at that. So we look at John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Um, Jesus is saying, on the last day of the feast, uh, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given but because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he's saying this thing, foreshadowing the outpouring of the Spirit. Um, so the Spirit is life-giving, is what we see here. And Jesus is making this, this statement uh, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, I was trying to do some research, and, and the priest on the last day of this um, ceremony, the priest would do this ritual where they would march around the altar and they would pour water out on the altar. And it, and it was this, this symbolizing of them almost like sacrificing water, basically saying, God, thank you for blessing us with the rain that is producing crops, right? It's, it's a celebration, and uh, they're doing this ritual. And so on the last day when that's happening, Jesus is standing up, and he's saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come in to me and drink. That he's saying, I am the living water that produces life. And he's saying this in reference to the spirit that was soon to come, that the spirit gives us Life. Um, he said earlier in John chapter 6 that the Spirit gives what? Life. John 6, 63. 
It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And so what good is the spirit? Why is it advantageous that he leaves? Because the spirit gives us life. John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The spirit indwells the lives of believers that our old self is gone. There is a new creation that has come that this transforming work of the Holy Spirit is now in our lives. It's active in our lives. And Jesus is leaving, but he's not leaving us alone. And he's sending a helper to come alongside us, to empower us, to encourage us, to convict us, and to lead us, cause us to lead holy lives in line with the will of the Father. So the Spirit is life-giving. The Spirit is dwelling within us forever. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Spirit teaches us. We've talked about this a little bit, but just wanted to look, about it, look at it a little bit more. It's that we can't really know who Jesus is without the work of the Spirit in our lives. Um, the Spirit removes blinders from our eyes so we can see who Jesus is, and, and we're able to know who he is through the, the, um, through the, word, uh, through the, the pages of, the, of his word, um, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit taught the disciples and brought back to remembrance what Jesus had said, and now we are beneficiaries of that, and the Holy Spirit is illuminating these truths of the scriptures, right? That, that this is how we get to know who Jesus is, not through some secret special revelation. That's how culture started, okay? So it's like, um, yes, Lord, hold on, I'm getting a message. Yes, you're all to give me $5,000, each one in this room, $5,000. Don't argue with me, the Lord told me that. That's, no, that's not how it works, all right? That we are to know who Jesus is through the pages of Scripture, um, and we hear God, and the Spirit teaches us these things and, and, and reveals these things to us. We read in John 15, verse 26, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness about me because you have been with me from the beginning. I want us to pick up on something here because this is really, really important. The Spirit empowers us to speak with boldness, to bear witness, to testify about the works Christ has done um, in us and in the, the course of history, what he has done. Um, and this is what Jesus is saying the Spirit will help us do. And so what's amazing to me is this. Who are we supposed to witness to? Non-believers. Also known as the world, right? We all on the same page with that? Okay, now here's, here's something really interesting. Um, so John 15, 26, the end of chapter 15, very last uh, passage in, in chapter 15. Um, I want someone to read John chapter 15, verses 20 through 26. So I'm flip over there. Actually, if you're in John 16, you just kind of need to look back. John chapter 15, verses 20 through 26. Once someone's there, raise your hand. And Anthony will bring the mic to you. Going back there. There we go. All right. I want you to listen to the wording. So this is right before this verse that we just read, okay? All right, go ahead. And I'm using the Amplified. All right. Remember that I told you, a servant is not greater than his master, is not superior to him. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word and obeyed my teachings, they will also keep and obey yours. But they will do, excuse me, but they will do all this to you, inflict all the suffering on you because of your bearing my name on and on my account, for they do not know or understand the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, 
they would not be guilty of sin or would be blameless. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me also hates my father. If I had not done or accomplished among them the works which no one else ever did, they would not be guilty of sin. But the fact is, now they have both seen these works and have hated both me and my father. And this is going to 26, sorry. Yeah, now you can stop there. We just read, we just read 26. So yeah, you can stop there. So verses 20 through 25, he's talking about the world hating us, right? I liked how it said they will inflict the suffering on you. And then verse 26, the spirit empowers us to bear witness to who? Those people that are inflicting suffering on us. How amazing is that, that the spirit empowers us and gives us boldness and strength to, to have enough courage to go preach to those who are the ones inflicting suffering on you. You'll see politicians won't even go on certain news networks because they're not allies. They're not, they're not friendly, right? That Republicans won't go on MSNBC and, and Democrats won't go on Fox News because they're afraid they're going to ask you these gotcha questions. And Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit empowers us to boldly proclaim the good news to those who hate us and those who are trying to ruin our lives. That's an amazing thing that when Peter, um, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit fell and the, the believers are, are speaking in other languages, it's not an unknown language. It's languages that people are hearing. And what are they saying? They're not like, oh, it's sure nice out today. We're going to go for a walk in the park. No, they're proclaiming the good news, that they are, they are giving the, uh, the ability to speak about who Jesus is. And then when Peter preaches, he preaches with boldness and authority, and 3,000 people were added to the number that day. And those people that were formerly hostile to what they were doing. Those people that, that may have been in the crowd shouting, crucify him. I don't know. There's 3,000 people there. Maybe, maybe it's not out of the realm of possibility, but that we have boldness to speak against those who fight against us. And so these are some of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us in our lives. He teaches us. He gives us life. He empowers us. He convicts us. He does all these things. And then we get to verse 8 through 11. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Um, so the Holy Spirit convicts um, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit's at work in our lives in a variety of ways. Um, in the lives of believers, we've already talked about it, um, what we just covered. But here's a few other ways that the Holy Spirit works in us, or, or in this instance, um, convicts us. So the Holy Spirit convicts concerning sin. And this is a major part of the work of the Holy Spirit, is the conviction of sin. And, and let me stop right here. The, the people that you listen to, like your spiritual mentors or spiritual leaders, or some of these pastors that you're like, oh, I love following them on Instagram because they always have something good to say. Um, if they aren't talking about sin, odds are they're probably not being led by the Holy Spirit. And I will say this, and I, I say it with no apologies, because a major work of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin. If someone's being led by the Holy Spirit, they're not going to ignore the reason Christ came to die. Okay? And so, so these feel-good messages, they're awesome. They're like, yeah, we leave on a high. But they're ignoring a major part of the working of the Holy Spirit, which is convicting. Because why? Because if, if people don't know about the bad news, there's no celebration for the good news. And, and so we can't ignore sin. We just can't. 
like so many times we want to gloss over it because we want to make people feel good, but it's it's a major part of what the Holy Spirit does. That it convicts in re- relation to sin. Um, the Holy Spirit convicts the world about the condition of our heart, right? Separated from God, our unwillingness to believe. And if we want to talk about salvation, and we don't mention the working of the Holy Spirit, if we're just like, you just got to make a decision, it's all on you. It's a disservice to the Holy Spirit, and in turn, it's a disservice to God. Like, we, we have to understand that, that there is this, this working of the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. It's not us just waking up one day and realizing how bad and terrible we are, that it's the Holy Spirit working in us, Holy Spirit working on those. Um, and so, so it, it, the Holy Spirit opening up our eyes. We look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. Do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So the Holy Spirit convicts in regard to sin. The Holy Spirit convicts in regard in regard to righteousness. Um, why? Because Jesus is leaving. He's gone to the Father. And so now it's the Holy Spirit's turn to tell us, hey, what does that look like? Um, so we're convicted of sin, and then we're drawn to the solution of sin, which is Christ, um, Jesus, and the work that he's done. And so here's, there's this idea of, um, I guess it's it, this imputed righteousness, but there's also this imputed sin, uh, which is not, a, it's, it's original sin. It's Adam's sin, and because he's sinned, um, we're all children of Adam, so in turn, we all have that sin in us. We look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. So it's this original sin that we're all sinful people, that Adam, because of his fallenness, he imputed sin to us. He assigned sin to us. Thanks a lot, Adam. Appreciate it. Um, but here's something that, that Martin Luther um, coined as this, this glorious exchange that happens here. Um, so that Adam imparted sin to us. Yay, thanks, Adam. But what Christ did on the cross is that we gave him what is ours, and we took from him what is his. That, that he took our sin, and we took his righteousness. That what's ours is his, and what's his is ours. And, and Romans eight ten says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, taking our sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ's righteousness is imputed, is assigned to us, that there's a standard of righteousness that is not anything on our own merit. There's no self-righteousness, but he's convicting the world of righteousness, hey, that this is the way, that it's through Christ that we are righteous through him. So he convicts concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning Judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And this is one that I struggled with to understand a little bit, so I'm going to give it my best shot. And if you don't like it, I don't blame you. I don't know if I even like it. Um, But in this context, we see that it is uh, this world, the world that the prince of this world, the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of this world? Satan. Okay, yeah, Jesus mentions that a few times in John, John chapter 12, 31, John 14, 30, talking about the ruler of this world. So the ruler of this world is, um, is judged, which even in this context kind of blows my mind that the ruler of this world is running around, but still it's under the sovereignty of God, the authority of God. Like I, there are some things that we have to be okay not knowing when it comes to God. I don't want to be able to figure out everything about God. I, there's, you know, we look in Isaiah where his ways are far beyond our ways. And so there's some things we're like, well, why is this? I don't know. So why is the ruler of this world allowed to do? I don't know. But I know that he is. But... 
the rule of this world is judged. And this is the future tense. So when Jesus is talking to his disciples, um, he hasn't fully been judged just yet, but it's a certainty. Um, it's coming in a matter of, of hours, matter of days, because a lot of times we will assign characteristics to Satan that he doesn't have. Um, we make him out to be a lot more powerful than he is. And Satan is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. And so while he is working in the hearts and the minds of the Pharisees and in Judas and in Pilate and the crowds and all these things, and he sees Christ die on the cross, he's probably like, yes, I did it. Victory, right? But the resurrection happens. And so the ruler of this world is judged. Cool, you thought you had control. Well, I'm going to show you who's over death, who's over sin, who has authority. Yeah, you're looking at him. So the ruler of this world is judged. And so in turn, that the Holy Spirit convicts concerning judgment. And so because the ruler of this world is judged and condemned and destroyed, the Holy Spirit allows us to take an accurate view, an accurate judgment of who Christ is. Um, we see that in Colossians 2.15, that Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing I'm tongue-tied there, over them in him, Hebrews 2.12. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So the ruler of this world is judged, um, and, and the Holy Spirit convicts concerning judgment that the ruler has twisted this view, this judgment of who Christ is. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in their case, the God of this world, ruler of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the lights of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. So the Spirit convicts us. Um, it shows us our fault. It refutes these preconceived ideas and brings to light our wrong way of thinking. And since the ruler of the world is judged, our eyes can be opened to see the truth about Jesus is. Uh, we look at John chapter 9, verse 39. Jesus said this, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who have become blind, or those who do see may become blind. Um, and so, like I said, take it or leave it. I may be way off on that. Um, but it, it just seems that, that the Holy Spirit does a lot more than sometimes we give him credit for. Um, that there is a lot more working in us. And so while the disciples were sad while Jesus was leaving, um, we don't have to wish that we could just spend a day with Jesus because it's to our benefit that he's gone because we have the Holy Spirit here with us, working and alive and active in our hearts. Um, while he was on earth, there were only so many people who could be around his teaching, only so many people who could learn from him. Um, but as he leaves and sits at the right hand of God, one of his first uh, to-do lists is to send the Holy Spirit to empower the believers to go out and to do his work, to preach the gospel, to change the world. Um, and, and so we got through 11 verses, I think, in, in John 16. Um, I could have gone on, but I just, I know I can't help myself. So I would have, we would have been here for another hour, hour and a half with the rest of this. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, this really odd, what's up? <laughs> you have to wait. Um, a couple of weeks ago, this really awkward and, and bald guy preached a sermon at Foundation Church on um, the last verse in John 16. So if you need something to uh, fall asleep to, or you don't have anything better to do, you can listen to that um, and try to round out, round out uh, chapter 16. But um, that's it. So, so that's what I've got for chapter 16. I'm going to pray real quick and just close this out. And then if you would like, um, if you want to stick around and pray for one another, um, if you want to congregate on one side or you want to raise your hand, hey, I want someone to pray with, you know, or whatever, um, just to let people know 
um, because sometimes like oh, everyone's leaving, I guess I have to leave as well. Uh, but uh, let's not, let's not, if we need that time, let's not uh, miss out on that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this evening, thanking you for your word. God, thanking you for your truth that is found in, uh, in the pages of your word. God, I pray that you would help us just to live in a way that honors you. Um, God, that we chase after you. God, that we hold tight to you. Uh, God, in the face of persecution and hardship, God, that, we, uh, that our faith does not weaken, but we just, we just stay um, as close to you as possible. God, be with us. Um, God, continue to change us, point the things in our lives that need change. God, and let us continue to grow more and more like you every day. Uh, God, give us the boldness by the power of your spirit to proclaim your word. Um, God, and to uh, encourage us, convict us, and make us more like you each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. Thank you guys for being here. Saturday night service. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.